Welcome to Be More Super the Podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. In Action Pack Podcast, where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super the Podcast, we've got a great guest. Um, he's been in Halloween 2, Jaws of Revenge, and my personal fa- favourite, the, the Last Starfighter. And also, I'm going to be chatting to him a bit about uh, becoming Johnny Cash, because, uh, you know, during research on guests, I find out something new uh, every time, and I didn't realise that that this guest uh, portrayed Johnny Cash on Broadway. It's, of course, a wonderful Lance guest, Lance, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, great to be here. And how has everything been for you in the past year? Because I always do a check-in with, with with the guests because it's been a rocky year, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, you know I'm very lucky. I, I have a fam family, so I I am not by myself, and they're my favorite people to hang out with. So I. Uh, I am not. Uh, I do not suffer the fate of, of other people that are maybe a little more isolated. Um, and I live in a in a great place in California. And so I, you know, I, 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 I think sometimes people do need a little bit of time to sort of shut down a little bit, sort of depending on how how crazy you interpret the world around you. And uh, I just sort of, I sort of took that as a opportunity to do that so i like like you mentioned something about uh broadway you know i was i had a pretty that was a pretty non-stop ride for about four years there yeah so it, you know well I'm getting, hopefully I'm, I'm, think fingers crossed the uh the pandemic will be over soon and, and theaters yeah. can get back to work because i think it's hit the industry so so much i mean yeah. over this past past year has has everything been with you for auditioning or, or, or work-wise and keeping yourself busy i just haven't you know i haven't i haven't done it i just decided it's not worth it it's not worth you know there's so many there's so many protocols that people do i have five friends that that are filming and they're doing stuff and but it's like they're getting vaccinated every other day and they're not vaccinated tested every other day and it's you know until very recently with the vaccinations it, it really was kind of a i don't know sort of a climate of insecurity so mm. you know the US have, is, have you been vaccinated yet so it's pardon have you been vaccinated yet, or I got my second coming up week, so right, my okay. second one, back and uh, then I got to wait a couple weeks after that. But I'm pretty sure everybody else in my family is going to be done by like the end of the month. So and and fing and fingers crossed. The more that gets vaccinated, you get that herd immunity yeah. going, and and it will make the world a better place, and we can get back Absolutely. to go, go going out with the family because my girls are. Are begging to go out, and you know I'm very restricted on what we can do with them. Um, but yeah, I've got my second jab in a couple of weeks, so uh, I had a bad reaction to my first one. Um, my temperature was forty, and I was in bed for two days. But oh apparently, gosh. that's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine was fairly mild, but it was still a little, little freaky. 
Where are yes. you from? Where are you? Um, where are you broadcasting from? What part of the UK? So I I am um, from a small place uh, called Mansfield, which is near Nottingham. Um, so oh. think Sherwood Forest, and I'm in the middle yep. of Sherwood Forest, where Robin Hood is from. Is that near Staffordshire? Or it's is not that, far. Staffordshire is about an hour and 20-minute drive. Because so, my relatives, are, my, the guests are from Staffordshire. Are they Really? At least the ones that I, you know, that I know about. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. So, so you've got some English blood in you. Oh, yeah. I have, I'm at, I have at least half half English or very or varying parts of Welsh English. Half. Mm. I'm half. <laughs> I'm a half. <laughs> well, well uh, you know, a lot don't realise that actually America isn't that old. America's only what? Is it 300, 300 years old? So the majority of every, everyone in, in America came from Europe, came, you know, f- over the uh, the boats like the Mayflower and uh, Chris, Christopher Columbus days. So, so, so yeah. Um, so, right, Lance, let's uh, get to uh, the nitty-gritty. Let's find out a bit more about you. So, with this career of acting, what possessed you to get into this industry? What what, what, what was that, um, you know, kick to get you into acting? Why? <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was very, very lucky because I, I just sort of had like an actor personality when I was a kid. Like when I was starting at about actually quite young, probably nine or eight or nine years old, I sort of had an actor personality. And people always said, oh, you're going to be an actor. And I used to memorize things all the time. And I used to memorize lines from movies and memorize entire comedy routines and, you know, every song Bob Dylan ever recorded. And I basically just I, I just had this sort of performance based personality uh when i was very young and then i started doing plays when i was in middle school and then i did a lot of plays in high school i spent basically all my time in high school uh or secondary school i guess you guys call it um uh doing plays and then i uh was a theater i went to ucla and i was a theater major so i did a bunch of plays then and um Basically, that that was the thing I did. I played music. I, I was a guitar player. I am still a guitar player, um, and I, I I did acting. So I, I I pretty much did all that stuff for fun. And so I realized that it's 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 actually harder in America to do to become an actor. It's not really a mm. there's not a lot of not a lot of theaters. There's the theater industry. I've been over to the UK several times, and the, the theater industry seems to be like a legitimate job. Like you can go be an actor, you can go study, and then you get set someplace. And you know, I, I know there's, you know, there's not jobs for everybody, but but the theater is much stronger in in the UK and uh, in America, it's kind of not, not not so much. So so I always knew that it was a pretty low percentage job as far as making money. Mm. Yeah, um, because it is difficult, especially as a theater actor, to make money. Um, but then when you but then when I was in college, I had like a I had a couple of friends that knew somebody that did it and somebody that, you know, knew a manager or whatever. I didn't get involved in that, but I, I knew that it was possible. And I didn't really know anybody. I had a cousin that did it like 20, like, I don't know, 15 years before I did. Um, but I uh, I didn't really know anybody that, that had really 
gotten in there and done it. Mm. So I just did whatever I could. You know, I, 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 in the middle of college, I, I came, I came uh, down back down to LA and, uh, I, uh, started, uh, you know, just doing whatever you had to do, you know, look up agents, look up things, but I, I got, I got a break pretty quickly. So, um, it, it took about two, uh, you know, I thought it was going to take two years. It probably took about three months. So mm. <laughs> I was very lucky. <laughs> and do you remember your ever, your, your, your first ever audition um, for anything? My first audition, I want to say, I think it was Bronco Billy. It's Clint Eastwood movie. I think right. that was my first audition. It's Bronco Billy or another movie, I think a Billy Wilder movie that's like his last last movie with like Jack Lemmon or something. I can't remember. Um, but I remember Bronco Billy. I remember I had to play like Clint Eastwood's son or something. I was like 20 years old. Um, maybe it wasn't his son. I can't really remember. I just remember Bronco Billy. <laughs> And 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 how how was the experience of that that audition? Because some people hate auditions and some people love them. I mean, do you do you like auditioning? Well, the sad truth is is that I used to love auditions mm. um, because I I was the kind of person that I could go in and I could just kind of nail it immediately. I didn't have to spend too much time. It was all instinctual and it was all like I just kind of would go in and try to make it have as much life as possible. And I was generally pretty good at being natural and spontaneous. And uh, I was just kind of built to do this. But like the more I auditioned and the more I came into contact with people that wanted to work with you in auditions, I became more and more self-conscious. So now I just can't stand it. I can't stand auditioning. <laughs> <laughs> and what was Before, the biggest I was like, challenge? Oh, Pardon? Yeah. What 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 was the biggest challenge that that that, that you faced while you were go, going through that? I, I thought I was supposed to be much. Uh, I kind of was. I, I kind of was a natural uh, comic actor, and hmm. I that didn't really square with everything I was learning about you know real acting. Um, so I I I kind of ignored my my comic acting and really tried to focus on being you know who was the heaviest you know back in the early 1980s you know the heaviest heaviest actors the people that were you know that were steeped in the method and they were trained and all this stuff and i really wanted to be one of those people i didn't want to be like hey i just fell off the truck and i'm an actor you know it's hollywood likes that hollywood likes people that sort of fall off the truck but or that they can say fell off the truck but i was more like i liked all my heroes were like kevin klein and william hurt and you know, John Malkovich and all those people that, that were really, they weren't just immediate celebrities. They were, they were trained actors. Mm. And then your first movie that you got, uh, believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously all this research, you never know what to believe on Wikipedia and IMDB ah. and all them lot. So, so according to my research, your first movie was Halloween 2. Uh, is that correct? Yes, yes. The first like professional movie. I done like a couple of student mm. films, but that was the first professional gig. I actually had a screen test about three months earlier. It was happening right during finals in school. I had a screen test for this movie called uh, Split Image. So I, it was for the lead role. So I had to, um, I had to like go through all this 
stuff about contracts and, you know, three picture deals and all this stuff. And I was sort of losing my mind. I thought, oh, you just audition, you get a part, you do it in the movie. But there was all this other stuff I had to deal with. Um, Michael O'Keefe eventually got the part. But uh, it was it was kind of a cool movie. I, I like the script a lot. I like the director. <laughs> But I do. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> well, I'm sure Halloween Two is is better remembered. So, so congratulations yeah. on getting the part <laughs> part of Jimmy, and <laughs> and obviously going for that movie. Uh, you, we, we already had seen Halloween. How daunting was it to to be in Halloween Two? Because I think sequels, uh, you know, it can be quite daunting because there's a lot of pressure. I mean, how yeah. was that? You know, filming and and being in that movie, knowing that. Um, the, the truth is, is that at that time, sequels, even though there was like, uh, the empire strikes back and there was, um, what was the other one? Aliens. There, mm. the, those were good sequels, but in general, the sort of the, the thought is that sequels were kind of cheesy. And so you didn't want to be, nobody wanted to be in a sequel. And, um, so says me who was in jaws the revenge um <laughs> and, and uh uh so so you kind of you you felt like a, there was a little bit you were you you kind of from the get-go you felt like there was maybe you had something that you had to overcome but so many mm. people liked halloween too that, have, that over the years have told me they really really liked halloween too they liked it as much as the first one and so i like oh great okay yeah, Donuts. it's like a fine wine. It matures with age, <laughs> and it gets better every time you watch it. You, you know, you, you know what I've got to say. Films of that age, they've got a sound about them, and they've got a way that they're shot, which I think is wonderful. Which I, I, I feel that you don't get into, you know, in films now. I think think they've lost something throughout throughout the years. But that being your first, you know, professional gig, as you said. Um, you know, what was the biggest lesson that you learnt working on Halloween 2? Well, having been used to rehearsals where you, even if you have a 10-hour rehearsal, you're working all the time. You know, you're either watching what's happening, you know, the scene before you, or you're figuring out what the tone of the piece is, or whatever you got to do, see how you fit in. Um, even if, like I said, even if you have to be at rehearsal the whole time. But when you're on a film set for 12 hours and you spend about 90% of that time waiting for the lights to get set up and waiting for people to redo takes. And it's really very, uh, it was exciting for me, but it gets boring after a while because it was exciting for me because I'm doing you know? And I made the mistake of like, there were some actors that would do this. They would, they would stay in, they would stay in character the entire time they were on the set. Even if you were on for 15 hours, they'd stay in character. And if you're doing a you know a horror movie where it's you know it's like nail biting and you know drama all the time, it's kind of exhausting. <laughs> um, the more uh, sort of the older actors are a little bit like yeah you know you take a break when you take a break and then you figure out how to get back into it. But other actors and the people my age, sort of the standard was you got to be in character all the time. You know, mm. you're not shooting, you're you're writing stuff down. If you're not writing stuff down, you're rehearsing stuff. If you're not rehearsing stuff, you're going over. You know, you're constantly, constantly working and it all ends up being a little, I mean, good when you're young and you have all that energy, but it all gets exhausting after a while, <laughs> after you do it about when 10 you, years. 
yeah, when you say that people on the set stayed in characters, I just got a vision of Dick Warlock that played Michael Myers just stood in the corner <laughs> with his mask on during the breaks, just staying in character. But what was it like working with Jamie Lee Curtis? Because obviously they they were the films that really propelled her uh, in in her career. What, what, well, I, what was I it like at say, such a young age? I always say this about her. She she was I think she was maybe two years older than me, but mm. she had this very adult quality. This very um, she was always really up. That's what's so funny. She played this really introverted character that she used to comment on all the time. This really kind of introverted really would be the best way to describe it you know sort of semi-depressed and in real life jamie curtis is she is bigger than life she's a bigger than life person you know she has this incredible uh energy that's that's uh mm. very infectious and and a lot of fun to be around yeah you know? i mean it's, saying it's, 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 it's funny you say, you say about the fan like part her, her Sorry, personality no, no, is kind of the fish called wanda character you know that that's closer yeah. to a real person you know, she's just really kind of, you know, she's kind of uh, disarmingly charming. <laughs> and and then when you talk about the fans, um, I love it how, how so many fans still talk about it on the internet now that Jimmy lived or did Jimmy die, you know, yes. and obviously you've got the theatre cut and, and um, but I read some, somewhere as well that you commented on how, you know, in uh, H2O and in another one that, Jamie Lee Curtis's characters, kids have got your sur- surname, which is yes, yes, that's funny. Which... I guess they, I guess they, they did their research and like, well, it had to be Jimmy. It had to be Jimmy Lloyd. So the last <laughs> name is Lloyd. You know, some of the kids are kids are named Lloyd. Um, I don't know if all of them are, but some of them are. Um, mm. But then they never really say what happened, other than I think, I think, I think in H two O, I was like a, I turned into like a, my character must have been a terrible terrible dad i was like a drunk or something or i don't know i i, I don't really know I, I i watched i think i saw that movie a couple times maybe i saw it and i didn't really uh, that's all i got from it well it's great, um, but crazy I, now funny. the franchise is enormous the franchise is enormous now i think there's yeah. some some something like 12 or 13 films or some something like that you've got halloween kills that is the new one that's coming out as well so uh yeah it's crazy it really, really is. With, regard, with regards to the name, though, I always like to bring up the the fact that uh, Jamie's actual last name and the name of her actual kids are the same as my last name, which is Guest. <laughs> yes. So, um, we're not re- so, I don't think we're related. No, you're not related, are you? I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> He's the and hated it's quite. Yeah, it's quite surprising that that Halloween then was quite a big stepping stone for you because obviously Nick Castle, uh, which is you know everyone's ev- everyone knows him for being Michael Myers as well in 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 a lot of the Halloweens, but I think of Nick Castle as the director of the Last Starfighter, the director of The Boy Who Could Fly, which I absolutely adore that mo- mo- movie. I think it's wonderful, and they and th- those two movies are. The blueprint to my childhood they really are so nick castle uh sees you in halloween 2 thinks you're absolutely amazing then obviously approaches john carpenter because apparently you came across as a bit of a carrie grant from what i've read from an interview from nick castle so how did the job uh come about for the last starfighter i was completely unaware of this i was completely un- i mean i knew he and i knew that uh 
that he and John were friends, but I did not know that he was there in the, uh, in the, um, like saw some editing footage and, and said, Oh wait, who's that guy? Um, so I, I just auditioned like everybody else. I got a call from my, my agent and there was a script called Centauri's recruit and I got the script and I read the script and I thought it was really original and funny and kind of not serious. Like all the other sci-fi things, it was kind of tongue in cheek and funny and goofy and fun. And so I, I was kind of, I was very intrigued. And so I, I, okay, well, I'll go in there and do, do the scene. And uh, thank you very much. Okay, good. And I didn't hear from them for two months, maybe three months, which is very unusual. And and then I hear back from them again, oh yeah. And then they brought me in and with two two other actors and three girls, they, they matched us up and that was it. So it was a quick, fairly quick process because I was unaware that I had sort of a little bit of a leg up from, from Halloween too. Yeah, and it's such a wonderful movie, The Last Starfighter, and even today it still holds up. It really does because obviously, obviously, the C- CGI looking now back at it is very dated, but there's something yeah. about it that a charm. And I've got to say, it's definitely become a cult hit. Um, so you know, obviously, we've covered the part of you getting the 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 the, the role, and you say that it, you know when you read the script, it was quite quirky. I mean. Did you imagine it to end up like it was after you've read the script? So you've read read the script, you start film, f- filming. Uh, how was that? Because that must must have been weird. Because am I right in saying that you filmed it over forty days? Or yeah, is that there, really? There, and the initial photography was thirty eight days, um, or maybe I worked for thirty eight days. I think I think I got two days off. Um, but then we did reshoots. We did a week of reshoots in the spring of nineteen eighty four. Um, which I'm sure you heard the story of how I, I was really sick and it covered up my face yeah. with so much. That was, I was like, I had like a 104 temperature and I was, Oh was wow. Really, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. It was, I just, I caught this flu. I'd been living in New York for like six months and, you know, running in the snow and everything was fine. As soon as I came to LA, boom, I just got sick. Mm. So, um, yeah, we had to do reshoots and we just had a week to do them. And, and one, the one night that we were in the pickup truck and I'm laughing like a maniac, uh, that was, I was like on death's door. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> I told people that I had 104 temperature and they said, you're supposed to be dead. Oh, that's awesome. And then on screen, you, you know, the cast of the movie is just fantastic. You've got some amazing actors yeah. that you're acting opposite. Uh, Robert Preston's last appearance was in The Last Starfighter. What what was he like, good old Centauri, uh, you know, to act with on screen and no off screen? Um, well, I've said this several times because it's the thing that really sticks out the most. Um, he was in his late 60s, I think, when he, when he, when mm. he did this. And we did mostly night shoots, and he, you know, he has to have all that energy, that great, you know, Preston energy, and he always had it. And not only did he always have it, he he would rehearse with me because I was I was a freak, you know. We only got two two takes, and so I I had to rehearse as many as many times as I possibly could. And they didn't have time to really rehearse us that much, so I would you know knock on his trailer door and say, "Hey, Preston, you want to run the scene?" <laughs> and uh, and he would. He totally was like, you know, I grew up in the theater, kid. That's what we do. 
and <laughs> and you know he's smoking like three packs a day you know and he's had a big huge head mm-hmm. you know thick head of hair and he's just he's just this kind of bigger than life character you know he's 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 and of course I when I was a kid I, I, I used to listen to uh, Trouble in River City and the music the cut of Music Man I always liked songs that had like tons of words it just like with these, yeah. these sort of just railroad of of lyrics um and so I used to do that so I kind of it was weird to kind of see him in real life you know but I was also preoccupied with like I gotta carry this movie so I I uh, I was less. I was less distracted by like, oh, this guy's a big star. I was more like, I hope I don't screw this up. No, but it's awesome. I mean, I mean, the chem- chemistry you have on 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 screen is it, you know, test testament. It really, really is, and and it is a wonderful mo- movie. Uh, what was Nick like to be directed by? Was he a good director to you? Oh, he, oh yeah, absolutely. Because he, first of all, one of the one of the most important things uh, as a director, especially when you have a a very unsure um, idea about how the special effects are going to look because it was it had never been done before, right? The computer-generated effects had never really been done before. They were done in more of a in a similar simpler sort of resolution or format in, in Tron, but but it was it was like brand new frontier territory. So they didn't know how a lot of the stuff was going to look, and so you need to know. Pacing is the most important thing. When you're directing a film, you have to you have to have the pacing. You can't just leave it up to the editor. It's got to be on the set as well. And so, Nick was very um, a, a sort of acutely aware of that, and, and very, you know, he knew when there had to be a lot of energy, and he knew when it could be it could back off, you know. And I didn't, you know. To me, it's just like I just see all my scenes and and. <laughs> I try to do them all in order. One great thing he did is he he got together with me and we ran all the scenes in order, because that's mm. to me the that's the that's the real art in acting. If you're the lead character, is you have to you have to sort of like a puzzle. You have to piece together the character's arc. And if you do it out of sequence and you don't go through it, uh, at least you can go through it in your head like by yourself. But it's better to do it with somebody else. So I always encourage people to rehearse together as a cast first and so everybody knows where they've been where they're going you know yeah it's just it's easier you can decide by yourself and live in your own private idaho as they say but (laughs) it's better to do it with the cast and so when i realized that that's not how films are made unless they do that on purpose usually films are like okay here's you know scene 61 is your first one go and (laughs) And you know what? It's crazy to think it's 37 years ago when that came out. It's nearly hitting its 40th anniversary. Uh, do you know, it may be a bit early, but do you know if there's anything special happening for the 40th anniversary? Um, I don't. I do know they're, 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 uh, the writer, John, um, and uh, Gary Witta, fellow, fellow Brit of yours. You know Gary. You know who Gary is. Um, yeah. uh, they're working on a they're working on a, uh, on a on a sequel on getting it getting it done and getting it done the way they want to get it done and and uh, I'm I'm supposed to be in it. Uh, yes. I'm, not, I'm not the lead character. <laughs> I think I'm the lead character, but I'm supposed to be in it. And that'll be that fun, awesome. you know. Get it going. I think they have a lot of. There's a lot of groundswell. There's a lot of a lot of people really like this movie, and they don't. They never. No, a lot of people don't understand why they sequelize everything else. You know, there's the mm-hmm. most absurd sequels you can imagine 
and mm-hmm. and yet we never did 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 one here. So you know, I hope the hope that happens. Yeah, I mean, over thirty-seven years, you would have thought they would have done a a a sequel by now because I know that there were two sequels that were planned um in in the works after the last star starfighter fighter oh i didn't know uh, that i didn't know there was a, like a trilogy like a back to the future thing yeah where they have, like yeah oh. yeah and 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 funny you say back back to the future ron i think his name ron cobb he, yeah. the guy that designed the century uh sports car was the right. guy that later went on to design the uh, delorean in uh, back to the future pretty much <laughs> the same car <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it is. Set. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I suppose you've got a Doc Brown and you're Marty McFly. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because um, uh, when I was in college, I lived, uh, I lived in this small apartment complex, and two doors down was Mike Fox. He lived, he lived there two doors down. So I, I was his next door neighbor for like two years. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, he's really, he's great. I remember when he moved out, he gave me he gave me all this stuff, all of his Shakespeare posters, and he gave me his. I have this. Uh, some girls, Rolling Stones, Some Girls record. Do you know that record? I don't. It's got the. Uh, it's got all. It was kind of a lawsuit record, and <laughs> and there were Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield and all these people were kind of on the front of it. Raquel Welsh and everybody, and they decided they couldn't let them use it, so they yeah. they they used the member of the bands. But then, but Mike's from Canada, so he had the Canadian one, and there wasn't a lawsuit in Canada. So I have Mike's old Some Girls record, which is. Uh, I'm a bit yes. of a fan, so it's kind of important. I'm just, 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 just <laughs> looking up the uh, yep. the 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 actual cover there. I don't know if you could see. Yep. It. Is that the one? Yep, that's the one. But yeah. see what they had to they had to use like Charlie and Keith and everybody in the in the in the with the wigs and the you know pointy bras and everything because they couldn't use, which is hilarious in itself. But um, originally it was Marilyn Monroe and Jay Mansfield and Raquel Welsh. Well, you can certainly see Mick Jagger uh, in yeah. in some of them. He stands like a, a <laughs> out like a sore thumb, as they say. Um, so then we go on to um, I want to talk about Jaws of Revenge uh, because I think it's an awesome movie. I really do. I really enjoyed it. And Jaws I... for me has, has made me scared of of of, of the sea. It, it's given me the fear of the sea even to this day. And oh I've been to South Africa. I've been in boats. I've seen great whites up close, and um, really? the yeah, the petrifying. Literally, I went on a. I got offered to go into a cage, but I didn't. I, I hadn't had my open water certificate by then, so I couldn't right. go into the cage. And so I stayed by the boat. And the one thing they were doing, they were throw, throwing chum in into the water, which they're trying to ban now because obviously that's not good for the sharks because they're supposed to be naturally hunting and uh, they yeah. hang pieces of meat over the side of the boat and the great whites come up and take the meat literally i was petrified okay. i was petrified um i didn't take any pictures i got my phone phone out and i just couldn't take any pictures i was just petrified um but jaws the movie <laughs> i i i think a, a great franchise really is and jaws of revenge sees you um you know as as mike brody um you know and in the bahamas uh you would, wouldn't think that sharks would come to the bahamas but good old jaws he, he decides to uh take yeah. a trip <laughs> <laughs> i've got some questions here from a yeah, fan 
yeah. I've got a question here from uh, Stephen Bayman, who is a friend and a big fan of yours. Um, he wanted to ask, um, when you first got the call about pe- appearing in the movie Jaws of Revenge, was it a really big deal to you to be in a Jaws movie, or was it just another job? Um, I, you know, I, I liked the first movie a lot. Like, I loved the first movie. Um, I, uh, sorry, there's a plane. It's really hot where I am. Um, let's see. Uh, it was originally called Jaws 87. And, uh, my, my agent, I didn't audition for it. They just straight up offered me the part. And I had been doing plays uh, earlier that year. It was 1986. This was happening like mm. late 1986. And I, uh, I hadn't done a movie in a long time. And I read the script and I was like, this is, this is great. What a, this is a great part. They really flesh the guy out. He really kind of carries the movie. And, and even though it's absurd that there's a, there's a shark that's, follows following his family (laughs) it had the the script the 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 writer was able to sort of tweeze the the storyline so that you could follow the motivations and it didn't seem so outrageous it just seemed kind Mm -hmm. of like oh well we got a uh, unusual situation here and this is how people react and uh so i was like great let's do it and um we read through it a bunch of times, and then they they realized that a lot of the special effects they couldn't actually get. They couldn't actually get some of the sequences that they had planned to get. Mm. Uh, they, it just wasn't physically possible, and they they hired the guy really late, and um, the, 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 the special effects guy, and he, he didn't have a lot of late, lead time, and they really ramped it up. It was like, I don't know if you know this, but it, it, from from let's make another Jaws movie to we've cast another Jaws movie to we're shooting another Jaws movie to it's out. All was a period of about seven months. Really? So I, 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 I think I got the call in November of 86 and by June the movie was out. So, uh, and we actually did, did reshoots after a week after the movie came out. I mean, they changed the ending a little bit, but uh, it was very, very fast tracked. Although the, the the actual shooting took a long time because it, it was really difficult to get some of those those uh, stunts, the shark stunts. Mm. There was no CGI; they didn't use any CGI, so um, or that I knew of. Um, so, at when they realized that they couldn't do some of those shots, what they ended up having to do is, is a mix up the, they, they had changed the order of a lot of the script. They kind of, they kind of chopped up the script and sort of moved things around so that they could, they could, they could get some of the shots and, the, and, the, and, the, and all of the moment to moment justification that I loved mm. so much was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I was freaked out. I was totally freaked out, but they didn't listen to me because I was, you know, was like, okay, big deal. It's a Jaws movie. Just, you know, run with it. So we did, you know, and, and uh, I was able to, and I had to re- sort of completely reconfigure what, what I had going on 
and it was fine. It was, if you liked it, I'm glad. It's, it, it was great. It, you know, <laughs> it, it, it had a, uh, you know, everybody knows what something was and then what, what it ends up being. And, yeah. you know, it's like Casablanca. I mean, everybody thought it was a, it was a, I'm not comparing Jaws to Casablanca, but everyone thought it was a total <laughs> dog. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic movie. So, well, it had a great uh, cast. You had you had Michael Caine, yeah. oh, uh, which Michael. is he's, he's a legend. Uh, yeah, and then and then the next question was, how did you get along with Lorraine Gary? Because this was her big return to the franchise. I mean, how was she to work with? She was fantastic. She was really, really a, just a real sweet, sweet person, and and a good actor. You know, I mean, we we do mm. our and stuff she 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 was very present and very you know very real and very connected she didn't have this like hollywood um like leave me alone i'm doing my own little mm-hmm. thing she was really yeah she would reach out and personally she would reach out you know to me and, and she was really a lovely lovely woman and i know she you know she loves her kids and so she thought of me as like for that movie she thought i was like a kid and she was just really just really lovely person I think one of the best scenes in uh, Jaws of Revenge uh, doesn't involve a shark. It was when you're at the dinner table and your daughter oh, yeah. is copying you. And it's a throwback to to his dad uh, with his brother. And I just thought it was like a really nice scene. Um, obviously, in the other Jaws films, it was a reputation to have the shark play up a bit and break down a bit. Did the shark behave um, during your filming? Not at all. I mean, it took, <clears throat> we thought it was going to take 10 weeks and it took five months, you know, right. so, and most of that time, most of the acting scenes that didn't involve the shark, we just, boom, just banged through those in three weeks. Um, and then the rest of the time was waiting for the shark to work. <laughs> you know, and I felt bad for the guys. I mean, the, the, the visibility was not great. Um, we shot in mostly in March and April, which is not the best time. Uh, because of the way the seas are kind of churned up, we had to wait for mm. days of totally clear skies, which was tough. Um, you wouldn't think so, but it was. And then we had to wait for total, totally clear visibility. Um, I did second, I did second unit stuff. You know, where the sharks chase me underground. We do it through the wreck. You know, the bond wreck. And mm. uh, I, I did that on my on my days off. So it wasn't always. The condition weren't the conditions weren't always great, and it's it's too bad that the, the CGI was not as uh, sophisticated as as mm. uh, it ultimately became, because that was a lot of a lot of downtime. <laughs> I mean, it would be interesting to see if they didn't rush it, as you say, from like seven months. If they didn't rush it and actually put the time and the money into it what movie it would have been uh so but but again you know i enjoyed it i think it's a a good movie but what what is your your proudest you know achievement in film and tv i mean what project or film or tv tv show will always have a a place in your heart i would say my in tv well my first job was lou grant i loved lou grant i was like 20 years old i was like a reporter and lou grant that was really fun um so that i it had that i sort of have a special special place in my heart for that um tv i did a tv show called life goes on 
which I really liked the writing and I liked the whole vision of the whole thing. Mm. Um, I don't know if you get that, got that over, we over did get there. It. No. it was Bill Smichovich, uh, Patty Lapone, and they're the, basically the hook is they're, they're just a regular American family and one of their kids has a Down syndrome. And it was played by um, Chris, who has Down syndrome, and he did a fantastic job. And and there's other children; they have other children, and they're just just the writing and the kind of the vision of it, I thought was really kind of sweet and cool and honest. And um, you know, I, I just thought that was a great show. Um, and then I did a I did a movie called The Wizard of Loneliness in 1987, actually right after I finished Jaws: The Revenge, and I had been aware of that for about a year. Casting director Pat McCorkle had, from New York, had given it to me saying, we think you should be this guy when the movie gets made. And I was like, fantastic. So I loved, loved, loved that script. And I loved the people that worked on it. I loved all the actors. I loved the director. I loved every, the writers, every, you know, everybody. Um, that movie was out for about two weeks. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Very few people saw it. Now, I guess it's streaming. It's been streaming for the last year, two years or something on Amazon, right? Um, which is nice. But that was that was just, you know, that was my favorite thing. It was set during the Second World War, and it was in New England, and it's really beautiful, and we shot it in the fall, and, you know, everybody's got these cool, I ride this cool Rudge Whitworth British motorcycle. I don't know if you know what a Rudge Whitworth is, but it's, a, no. it's an old cool British motorcycle with the fenders, you know, and a little license plate on the front, you know. Yeah. And uh, I dug it. I got to do that. I love motorcycles, especially British motorcycles. Um, and um, and I just, I loved my character and I, you know, Leah Thompson and Lucas Haas and Dylan Baker and John Randolph and Antoniak and there's a lot of, a lot of great people in it. Um, and then um, looking, looking at your your you know your your past career i came across something that has, has really stunned stunned me so what i didn't realize was elvis presley johnny cash carl perkins and jerry lee lewis got together and made music um i didn't realize this the world should have stopped moving <laughs> because having all these greats together is just unbelievable and they made it into a broadway music musical and i was looking on youtube and there you was singing johnny cash on i think yep. it was the letterman show yep. wow lance you're amazing honest to god <laughs> Johnny Cash down to a T. I mean, how did you get involved with this show? Because it's called A Million Dollar Quartet, and it was on Broad Broadway. How did you get involved? Um, the 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 I guess the short version is uh, I I mean it's a it's a it's a good story. Maybe I'll tell you the whole story. Um, the I was doing a play at this theater in in uh, Los Angeles and. I uh, was playing this character, and for some reason, first of all, when I was a kid, I, my first record, my brother gave it to me, uh, it was called uh, Johnny Cash's San Quentin, and it had Boy Named Sue, and Record the Old 97, and Wanted Man, and mm. all these things, and, and I just, that was the first record I ever owned, I was nine, and so I just played it, played it, played it, played it, played it all the time, and I just, you know, I became very fond of Johnny Cash, and when I would sing, you know, Record the Old 97, I'd, they gave him his orders in Monroe, Virginia, you know, and, and I... I would 
do it like Johnny Cash, you know, just because I was a little kid. And then when I got older, my voice changed. I realized I could kind of do it like Johnny Cash. But it was just a joke, you know. It was just kind of fun, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. sing with Johnny Cash. Boy Named Sue. I love Boy Named Sue, even though he didn't write it. Um, so that was just something I kind of always was able to do. And I didn't think about it. And anyways, I did this play. And I started reading this this part. It takes place in, in Arkansas. And I just... The voice just kind of came out of me when I was doing this play. And I always thought Johnny Cash was in West Texas. I don't know why, but I always thought he was from West Texas. So I talked to the dialogue coach and I said, eh, I really want to do this voice. And uh, John's, I don't know if he's from Arkansas. He's from, you know, West Texas. Mm-hmm. I thought. And she was like, no, can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And I was like, nah, I really want to do it. And then I looked up. And he actually is from Arkansas. Not only is he from Arkansas, he's from 15 miles away from where the play takes place. Because it's a true story about the last man to be hung in the state of Arkansas. So um, I'm like, got it. (laughs) I'm like, gotcha. So she's like, okay. So I basically based the character on just John. I mean, it was just easy to do. I just, it just came out of me. And um, so then... Then the next play I did, I did, it was a completely different play. It was a Spanish age, Spanish golden age play. That's, that was between 1550 and 1600s. And they wrote all these comedies. And I was in that with uh, a fellow actor, a girl that I met. Her name's Megan. And uh, we did this play together. And then I get a phone call from Megan. She said, I'm working on this, this guy that I'm working with. He, uh, he has this play. He wants to set up a reading. And we need somebody who's tall and who can play the guitar. I'm tall, I can play the guitar. So I, <clears throat> and right before I hang up, she goes, oh yeah, also you have to be Johnny Cash. Okay. <laughs> like to me, it was like, no problem. So I show up and it's the script of Million Dollar Quartet. And I just started reading it and they, they're just like, you're the guy, <laughs> you know? And just, and I was way older than I was supposed to be. I was like 45 years old. And John was like mm-hmm. 23 at the time. And uh, I just I just started doing it. And we never knew anything was going to happen with this. But we did readings and we did more readings and more readings. And they changed the script and they moved it around. And they, they went through all these different incarnations. The, the, the tone had changed. And the tone went from like this really Nashville style kind of super realistic kind of slice of life to more of a ah, Broadway show kind of thing. Mm. And um, we just kind of hung with it. I, I stayed with it, and I was always the guy they called when they needed a John. So, so I did. Did it. We did a. We did a tryout in Issaquah, Washington, and we did Daytona Beach, Florida, and then we did a at the Goodman in Chicago. We did a, a month there, and then we we had a sit down at the Apollo Theater in Chicago for. I wasn't there, but they they lasted seven and a half years, so it was one of the longest running plays either at that theater or in Chicago, I can't remember. But anyways, after two years, we got a phone call from uh, the Tony Awards, and they wanted us to play during the, in the 2009 Tony Awards, they wanted us to play during the breaks. So we schlepped our stuff up, and they were like, you know, we, we, we got all our instruments, because everybody plays their own instrument. It's not a, yeah. it's not typed in music or anything. It's just, it's a live rock and roll show. So, um we went in there and did it and you know 6000 people in at radio city and you know 
half of them were like, why is this not a show here? <laughs> so we got a deal that <laughs> night. And, uh, and, uh, and then the next thing you know, six months later, we were called up to, to go up to New York and do it, to go, go, go start our, our residency at the Nederlander theater. So that's awesome. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I never thought I would ever be on Broadway and I never thought I'd be on Broadway in this show. So it was just fun. <laughs> it was really fun to, to do all that stuff. I got to, like, you know, like I said, I got to be in a rock band for, for four years, five years. Which is longer and than any a lot plans? Of any plans on bringing Johnny Cash back um, at all in the future? I I'm not in charge of that. I don't I don't have the rights on his life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know they've made the movie and uh, and uh, you know I think I don't know I don't know I I think mm. they could make a, they could make another one they could make him older because af- that movie ends with the. Uh, Folsom Prison, um, mm. you know the Folsom Prison uh, concert, and he really had a considerable uh, career after that. But it wasn't mm. quite as dramatic, you know. I don't think. Yeah. But it, but that's to me that's when a lot of the good stuff was written. I like I like post mm. Folsom Prison, you know, San Quentin and all that mm. stuff. I like that era better myself. Um, I know that's sacrilege, but. I like it. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, and then we talk about moving on to conventions uh, before we we bid fair, fair, farewell to you. Um, so conventions, I've got to say that every time you you come over to the UK, you always attend a convention that I can't get to. So I had a oh, friend no. a few I've years like back. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I had a friend that went to one in Milton Keynes. And I've got down downstairs yeah. hang, hanging on the wall a pic- picture of you signed, and you signed it to me. Uh, but my friend actually got it for me. Uh, is there any oh. plans on, on on coming over to the UK once this pandemic sort of set, settles down? Well, I, it is has been kind of a regular regular thing for me. I, I, I right before the pandemic shut down, I was going every I was going probably every two years, every other year sometimes. Mm. So there was a period of time. When, I mean, of course, I stopped doing the after I stopped doing the show. Uh, mm. I had more sort of time to do that because weekends we have five shows in the weekend. So you, you mm. go to one of those conventions, you go for a for a for a weekend, and I miss a I'll mm. miss probably a week's worth of shows. Um, and I, which I did a couple of times, uh, but then after the show was over, I went to I went to a lot. I probably like I said I did another three. I think after yeah. that. So. So and do you, do you enjoy doing conventions? Absolutely, uh, especially going to the UK because I always go yeah. and then I stay for you know I stay for a week to go see some shows and you know I've got a friend that lives over there in um, Stevenage, yeah, um, and uh, he was actually the Carl. Uh, his name's Rob Lyons. His uh, he was the Carl in Nanda uh, Quartet, and he was the Carl that went over. I don't know if you saw the show over there, but when it was in the West End. Um, mm-hmm. He played Carl Perkins in, in the West End uh, production. Oh, awesome! Oh, hi, Rob. And, um, yeah. <laughs> um, what's What's the weirdest uh, experience you've had with a fan? Uh, so it could be weird, good, or weird, bad. Oh boy! Uh, you mean at a convention? Yeah, yeah, a convention. That's that's fairly easy because because. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and I and I am not a judgmental person at all. But um, this was a, I I basically just couldn't believe the sort of the sort of physics of this, the chemistry of this. But I was in Texas, and uh, this woman came up to me, and she was probably I don't know ten years younger than me, and she started talking to me, and then she just burst out crying. And she was crying uncontrollably, and she wasn't like a weirdo at all. She was like a totally normal person. And oh. she just could not stop weeping. And she had to walk away. And about a half an hour later, she came back and said, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I, I, I just, I don't really know what came over me. And, and she, and, and, I, and I felt really bad for her. I was like, hey, I, you know, I, I met Bob Odenkirk in the Trader Joe's. And, and uh, you know, I was totally starstruck. I just thought, you know, this was like three years ago. And I just was like, oh, my God, it's Bob Odenkirk. I love Bob Odenkirk. And, uh, and I was like, look, this happens to us, too, you know. And that's what I said to her. And she finds she sort of calmed down. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. But it was really strange. It was like I, I it's like I was Paul McCartney in 1964, you know. It was it was, it was like, and well, I won't complain. You're making women cry, uh, oh, so yeah. that must be a good thing. That must be a good thing. <laughs> and what do you get recognised for the most at conventions? Is, is is Halloween? Is it Jaws? The Last Starfighter? What's interesting is that is that there are more, at least in, in my world, there are more horror conventions than there are mm. other conventions, and so a lot of the people know me from Halloween 2, and they were like, oh, yeah, and you were in Last Starfighter 2. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thank God, yeah. Um, and and so, what do you uh, want to be recognized for the most? <laughs> that, I'm happy with the Last, last Starfighter, because, I mean, you know, that's, that yeah. was the most work. I, I, uh, you know, playing Jimmy was, was fun, but I mostly just ran around and asked her if she wanted a Coke, you know. It's like, you know, <laughs> that was, and I, and I was into it, you know. I was like, I was yeah. full on, I was full on, <laughs> you know trying to be a good actor and everything but and uh, and yeah. the last question before we bid farewell have you actually kept anything from any of your past projects any costumes props anything around the house hanging up that that the studios don't know about <laughs> no i didn't i did not steal anything um people gave me i mean at that point we i i just wouldn't have I wouldn't have like kept a helmet or anything like that because I just didn't have any space in my apartment. I wouldn't have done that. They they had about three or four pairs of Levi's that they had for me and they wouldn't fit anybody else. So they said, you can have these. And I think I had some shoes. We were sponsored by Adidas shoes. So I had a couple of Adidas t-shirts <laughs> and a few pairs of shoes. I think I got my girlfriend at the time. I, got, I think I got her a pair of shoes. And, um, you know, basically jeans and shoes. <laughs> Okay. Because because I've got to say, if 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 you had the helmet from Last Starfighter or the the suit, that would be worth a fortune right now. Because the sponsors of my show, Prop Store, they sell uh, an auction off uh, screen use props and cost costumes from the movies and t t TV, and it's crazy what they go 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 for. It really really is. Uh, I know somebody has the outfit. Somebody has the uniform and 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 the the, the helmet. Somebody has it. They paid wow. a bunch of money for. It. I, I don't know. They they wouldn't let us even have stuff. I remember one time I tried to. Uh, we were building a theater at the time, and I tried to hit up the the art director for some three quarter inch plywood. I thought maybe once the sets were done, <laughs> I would I could just hack them up and bring them to the theater and make a stage out of the 
out of the mm. plywood. But uh, he said, no, 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 we got another science fiction movie up. We, we're going to use a lot of the same basic structures. He gave me some gels. He gave me some light gels. <laughs> Thanks, just 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 light gels wow well very generous lance you've been a great guest thank you so much for spending the time time with with, with me i've had a great time um before we go what's what's next next for you are you just just living relaxing uh is there anything coming out or anything that we can see that's I don't, you know, I was involved in this one thing which uh, your viewers may may enjoy. Uh, it was a really, really funny sketch comedy uh, play about the making of the Star Wars holiday special. Right. Do you, do you know what this is? No. You've never heard of the Har- ha- Star Wars holiday special? I, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it, but I'm well, intrigued. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's you know it, it's geek lore. I mean it's 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 this thing they made. I'm I'm, in, I'm making a note. I'm making a note note it, of this. You won't be uh, able to get through all of it. It's one of the worst things ever aired on network television. They aired it once. Everybody in the Star Wars universe disavows it, um, and it's just a classic example of sort of Hollywood tone deaf promotion. Thing they were they were they did a Star Wars holiday special about and they aired it on November in 1978, and it was uh, some sort of thing to keep everybody thinking about Star Wars between A New Hope and Empire, and and it was just it's comic it's kind of comic genius in a really unintentional way. Excellent, so, excellent. Uh, I'm going to definitely yeah, check that out. So the making of it, well, nobody, there's no reason to like actually reproduce the the piece, but uh, the making of it was quite brilliant. Um, and uh, my friend Andrew uh, wrote this play, and we did it in Hollywood for you know for I don't know for two months or something. And and the people that saw it just really dug it, and, and a lot of people want to know when it's going to happen next. So that you know one we were we had plans to do it again, and then the p- pandemic hit. But it was really a lot of fun to do. You know, people, but we play like six different characters. We got different hats and wigs and noses and stuff, and it's really, really quite good. So. Oh, that's awesome! We we'll keep 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 an eye out for that, Lance. Thank you so much. It's been from a fan. It's been excellent chat, chat, chatting with you. Uh, look I'm after happy. yourself. Keep safe, right. and thank you. All right, Brian. Nice to talk to you. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. My world, let me talk.